Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for January 27, 2019. Each Sunday during the season of Epiphany, we will hear a personal reflection from Russ Dean and a homily from Amy Jacks Dean. Today, Russ speaks about Too Many Christians Aren't Ready to Live, and Amy's homily is called Just Because It Will Never Happen Doesn't Mean We Don't Keep Trying. For my Lord, who be a witness for my Lord? Who will be a witness for my Lord? Chapter 3 of Finding a New Way Home is entitled A New Future. Too many Christians aren't ready to live. The Christian view of life always excited me. As I learned it as a child, we are part of a larger than this life drama. We are bit actors. God is the producer and director. Jesus is the hero. The plot is simple, but like all good dramas, it contains a twist. Nice people living ordinary lives, sometimes boring, sometimes exciting. All people are walking our way through our three score and ten years to our deaths. Now, we Baptists didn't believe in original sin like the Catholics taught, but we did believe Eve's appetite and Adam's weakness have marked us all. And without some help, some serious intervention, all are destined for the grave and worse. Hell awaits. But God has made a way. After making it possible, After making it impossible, not virtually impossible, but actually literally impossible to affect our own healing, to find our way or work our way or plead our way out of the great abyss, which is our fated destination, God has given us a way out. That way, the only way, is through a sacrifice made to satisfy God's great honor, God's untouched holiness, which has been touched and broken and stained by our inevitable helpless dishonor. Even to redeem ordinary people, according to this grand narrative, no ordinary sacrifice would do. A perfect sacrifice would be needed, an unblemished sacrifice, a spotless lamb. And God made Jesus, born in perfect sinlessness, the incarnate Son of God, to be the perfect sacrifice, And his lifeblood, given on our sorry, helpless behalf, is our only way to salvation. This is the story of the countless evangelical sermons that punctuated my formative mind, my impressionable emotions as a child. I was part of a larger-than-this-life drama. God, reaching down from beyond space and time, has made a way for me personally Jesus is the way. The story was real and it was heart-rending. It was the ending of a thousand teary calls for repentance. Let's sing one more stanza. Anybody been there? Let's sing one more stanza, just as I am. The movement toward life-changing decision in all the emphatically revivalist worship services I have attended in my early life. When any of those services ended with somebody walking the aisle, giving their life to Jesus, heaven quaked. The angels sang, and we were there to witness it. 
It was as if the entire universe stopped. The veil of time was torn for just a moment as the realm of this war-weary, sin-sick, suffering-laden world was bathed in the light of heavenly joy. I cannot adequately convey the magnitude of this feeling, knowing that this grand eternal plan was being affected right before my eyes. Salvation had come in a moment. And from that moment on, for all eternity, heaven awaited. That's what it's all about. This life is just a trial, just a test, like a theatrical prequel to the real thing, the only thing. It's about heaven, going to heaven. All of here is just about there. All of now is just about then. All of this is just about that. All earthly pain and joy is almost illusory. It doesn't really count. All joys will be so overshadowed they hardly deserve to be called joys. All suffering will be so redeemed it doesn't really matter. Maybe we shouldn't worry about it at all. Our suffering or theirs. The poor, the sick, the hungry children. This isn't what it's about. This isn't what it's about. Their suffering will end if they accept Jesus, and it will all be worthwhile. Looking back, but who will look back? It will just be a minor, unnoticeable blip on the cosmic scale of God's vision and plan. Faith is about the future. As one minister told me, that's what it's all about. Doesn't matter how we get them in, just so we get them in. The present doesn't count. It's all about the future. Now, if you'll hold that thought from the first page of my book, let me tell you that I love my job. I've told you this many times, and I really mean it. I think it's the best job in the world. This afternoon, Amy and I are going to the hospital to welcome Phoebe Joan McCarthy into the world. She's our newest church member. Congrats to Drew and Jamie. And we'll get to go and hold her and say a little welcome to the world prayer. Who gets to do that besides a pastor? Births and baptisms and baby dedications and weddings. Oh my gosh, weddings and funerals. Who gets to sit with people when they're dying and hold their hands and talk to their family? Who gets to do that? I have the best job in the world. I really believe that. Now, I won't lie, y'all are a pain in the neck sometimes. <laughs> but I guess every job has its challenges, right? Let's just be honest about that. I love my job. And I love preaching. I love preaching. When I was in the first grade, I wrote this poem, I Want to Be a Preacher. I think it would be fun to study every morning before the rising sun, to stand up in the pulpit and preach before the crowd. Then you think I wouldn't. Oh, yes, I would be proud. You see, my daddy was a preacher, and I wanted to be a preacher like my daddy. And uh, even though I, uh, it took me a while to get there, I really have never diverged from that life calling to want to be in the church and to want to preach. I love preaching. And every Sunday morning when I'm up at, whether it's 4.30 or 6.30 and working on my sermon on Sunday morning, you know, I always write my sermons on Sunday morning, I think about that little poem. Every morning, studying before the rising sun, I didn't know it would really come true that way. You know, preaching is an honor and a joy 
and a challenge and a responsibility. And the fact that in this day and time with all of our screens and all of our professionally produced everything, um, the fact that anybody will come and sit down and just stay put for 15 or 20 minutes and listen to me talk, that's amazing. Y'all are crazy, you know? <laughs> it, it, it is an honor and I thank you for that. I preach because it is my life's calling and I preach because I know that one sermon can change your life. You see, one sermon changed my life. It was the fall of 1984. I was a sophomore at Furman University. My father has spent his whole career as a Southern Baptist pastor. And uh, as all Southern Baptist pastors did, you spent one week of the fall in revival. Uh, you spent one week at your church in revival, and you might spend another week at somebody else's church in revival. Almost every fall of my, uh, of my uh, early years, I can remember my dad being gone either to preach a revival at another Southern Baptist church or to sing a revival. My dad has a wonderful baritone voice, and he always mixed his music with his ministry. Uh, he has sung around the country for various things, and often he would be called as the, the guest musician for a revival in some church on the eastern seaboard and he would be gone and so this fall week um, in 1984 he was at the first baptist church in clemson south carolina <coughs> ironic that this event would happen at first baptist church of clemson because that would be the first church that amy and i would serve out of seminary first baptist church in clemson ironic that the guest pastor the revival preacher that week was dr ken chafin who was a pastor in Louisville, and Dr. Chapin would later become my preaching professor at Southern Seminary. Dr. Chapin preached the sermon that changed my life. But my dad called my sister and my brother and me, we were all three students at Furman University, and he said, come join me on Tuesday night at the revival and we'll sing together. You know, as soon as you have any musical ability in the Dean family, you get drug on stage with your dad to sing or play or whatever. And so we got together there, and I don't remember what all we did, but I'm sure I played this. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, then time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. My dad loved this medley of hymns about heaven. And I'm sure that every time we got together, we sang it. I'm sure we sang it that night. What I remember about that night, though, is not the music. What I remember about that night is Dr. Chapin preached from John 10, 10. The verse has become my favorite in all of the Bible. Jesus said, I, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Now, I am sure that in my early life, a lot of revival preaching would have used that text but might have twisted Jesus' words to conform to that opening story that I just read you from my book. The preacher in my early days would have said, Jesus said, I have come so that when you die, you will go to heaven and you will have eternal life. But Dr. Chapin said, that's not what the text says. 
And Dr. Chapin made the point with a fine focus when he said, too many Christians are ready to die who aren't ready to live yet. Too many Christians are ready to die because they think what it's all about is going to heaven. Too many Christians are ready to die who aren't ready to live yet. And in that moment, I knew that he really was talking to me. Suddenly it became clear what I have believed it's about is really not what it's about. It didn't give, his sermon did not uh, make me give up on my belief in afterlife that night. I still believe in afterlife. I just realized that the focus of Jesus' life and ministry and teaching and Jesus' faith was almost completely focused in the here and now. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Love wildly. Forgive daringly. Fight for justice. Breed compassion. Teach equality. Live today. Trust every tomorrow. Trust every tomorrow. That one sermon changed my life. Almost in a moment, everything shifted from future tense to present tense, from heaven to earth, from tomorrow to today, from there to here, from then to now. Dr. Chafin did use the words eternal life, but he explained that there's no reason to equate eternal life with afterlife. Eternal life begins now. It's the fullness of life. It's abundance of living. It is possible now. In that moment, I glimpsed a new future. It is the future that is with us even now. Later, I learned the word liminal. Liminal is a 25-cent word, which just means the future is happening right now. You can already see the future happening right now. All the potential that God holds for us in any tomorrow is with us in potential today. All of it. What God intends for us is not some escapist hope. The view that at some undetermined point in the future, life as God has designed it will begin in some other place, in some other realm or reality. No. God intends us to know life to the full and to experience it now. One sermon changed my life. One sermon made me understand faith completely differently in a way that allowed me really to celebrate my life. You know, the piano man, Billy Joel, sings, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners have much more fun. And I used to think that was right. I used to think I just had to bide my time because I was a Christian, you know. That's what it's all about. Wait till you get to heaven. Let the sinners have their fun here. They'll get theirs one day, and you'll get yours. You know, I used to think that's what it was all about, but no more. Jesus came that you might have life wild, joyful, abundant, free, full life. Who'll be a witness for my Lord? 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 I have so many great ideas. I really thought that would get a better laugh. <laughs> So I'll try it again. I have so many great ideas. Thank you. Most of them won't work. From global ideas about how to bring peace, 
to local ideas about how to better educate our children, to personal ideas about how to get our family together in one location for one meal on a regular basis, most of my ideas do not work. The truth is, I cannot create world peace any better than I can gather my clan. And solving our education crisis of underpaid teacher, teachers and re, a resegregated school system is way out of my league. But I have so many good ideas about solutions, and most of them won't work. I even have great ideas about the immigration issue. I think I could settle the dispute between Congress and the President. My ideas won't work. You know how I know? Because if you tell some of your good ideas in front of enough people, enough people will tell you why they won't work. <laughs> Please tell me you know this feeling. Please tell me that I'm not alone in having great ideas that won't work and will never come to fruition. We will never have world peace. Just face it. It's not going to happen. It's hard to picture partisan politics ever calming down enough to be civil, much less efficient. I fear our at-risk children will always be the most underserved. I will not give up on convening my family, but sometimes it even feels like that won't happen. But none of this negative thinking and despairing talk should keep us from continuing to try. Just because it will never happen doesn't mean we don't keep trying. Just as Jesus is getting started in his ministry, in Luke's telling, Jesus returns to his hometown. He picks up the scroll and he starts reading from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus didn't make this up. He's leaning on the prophet's words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That sounds so beautiful. But that last thing, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, would have been a reference to the year of Jubilee, which was part of Leviticus law, stating that following a series of seven sevens, the 50th year, every 50th year, was to be a time when you shall proclaim liberty through the land to all inhabitants. Freedom, like including free of debt. Oh, Lord, let your 50 come quickly. So you may be inclined to think that this sermon ended well for Jesus. This homecoming service was probably a real boost for his ego. Like, all the little old ladies were probably saying things like, I can't believe how much he has grown. <laughs> and he's really showing maturity. I'm seeing some leadership in him. Why, I remember when he was a wee lad and a tad on the mischievous side. 
He has a strong speaking voice, doesn't he? He probably learned that from participating in Children's Sabbath and Youth Sunday. Well, I remember rocking him in the nursery and changing his diapers. And here he is unrolling the scroll and reading from it. That's our boy. We raised him. Yeah, they didn't say any of that. <laughs> After he stood up to read the scripture, he probably sat down to do some teaching. And they didn't like what he had to say. Good news to the poor. You mean like the beggars? Begging out there all dirty and hadn't had a shower and no place to sleep? Mm-mm, Jesus. You mean release to the captives? Like the people in jail because they did stuff wrong, especially around money things and tax evasion and all, and they owe people and don't pay it? You mean we got to let them out? Mm-mm. We've got to let the oppressed people go free? You mean like minorities? Mm-mm. Now there you have done gone to stepping on toes, Jesus. And observe a year of Jubilee where we forgive all the debts and equalize wealth? That ain't ever going to happen. And then, we didn't read this part, but he basically went on to say that it's not just about y'all either. God is a God for everyone and not just the God of Israel, which will mean that God will need you and me to bless all of the poor, to release all of the oppressed, and all of the captives to, are to be set free everywhere for all time. And you know what they did? They literally ran him out of town. Like, tried to send him right over the cliff, it says he walked right through them. But if you read it right, they tried to kill him right then and there at the very start of his ministry because they can't handle the truth. If I could call on a little, um, a few good men. Jack Nicholson, thank you, thank you. They couldn't handle the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is mercy. The truth is forgiveness. The truth is blessing. The truth is release. The truth is freedom. Starting with the poorest of the poor and working our way up, this is our one and only job in this world. And I think this is to be taken literally. The poor, like hungry and homeless. I think it's literal. And I think it is figurative in thinking about all of the people that are captive to anxiety and captive to loneliness and captive to unhealthy and toxic behaviors, captive to substances that they use to self-medicate, people that are blind to hate and intolerance and blind to their own culpability in issues of justice. I think it's a literal word about the poor, and I think it's a figurative word about all of us. Jesus, on that day, in that sermon, did not say one word about any reward of heaven or any punishment of hell associated with his good news. He spoke in the present tense. Drawing from a prophet of old, Jesus spoke succinctly 
offering the core of his teaching in one short sermon, I dare say, more than the Sermon on the Mount, this sermon that Jesus preached should be the sermon, the one sermon that could change your life. He said, it's all about the here and now, nothing about the by and by. But we are paralyzed by the audacity of his claims because we all know it will never happen. Did you read part of the meditation at the beginning of your bulletin? I'll read the part I want to highlight. Thinking about that year of Jubilee, that 50th year when everything's forgiven, it's unclear that Jubilee was ever truly observed. It was certainly a religious celebration, but the land returning to original owners and indentured people receiving their freedom, it likely never happened, at least not on a broad scale. But was it enough that economic justice was an ideal? Maybe it wasn't enough, but it had to have been helpful. To consider Jubilee means to remember that things are not fair and that we can and should do something to create more fairness and more justice. She goes on to say, not included in your bulletin, even though we remember that Jubilee never fully reasserts the complete fairness and equity God desires, we look for places where justice is lacking and places where efforts are underway to create more equity. And when we see those efforts, we celebrate them. And when we are able, we emulate them. When is it Jubilee, she asks? We will never see it. But we can access the ideal just as the ancestors did by celebrating it, moving toward it, and dreaming of justice. Can you see it? The ideal that Jesus preached about, can you, in your mind's eye, see it? I can. I really can. And I have a thousand solutions that you will tell me will not work. But I can see it. Can you allow yourself to believe for just a brief moment on a Sunday morning that it is possible? Can you? In your gut of guts, allow yourself to believe that in your core, that this kind of message about today is possible. This message of good news is that God is a God of all and that our responsibility is for one another and that our focus is on the least and the last in every situation. Right here. Right now, abundant life is the goal for all. Just because it will never happen doesn't mean we don't keep trying. Who will be a witness for my Lord? 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 May it be so. Amen.
We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you. Thank you.